0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Tuesday and it is also CPI Inflation Day. That's right, this morning at 7.30 uh, is the CPI report. And look, this is what kind of all eyes are focused on right now is whether or not inflation will come in hotter than expected, weaker than expected, right on the dime. And the markets are going to respond accordingly to that. So again, you know, while the markets did rally yesterday, again, kind of having a nice day yesterday, pushing, you know, pushing a bit higher here in the short term. today could change all that pretty quickly depending on the inflation print so expectations are right now for a 0.1 percent increase in inflation um you know that's that's hopefully what will turn out to be kind of an inline uh, assumption and that's where markets will come in this morning um but if we start to see a print that is 0.2 0.3 uh, today in terms of cpi that could put a good bit of downward pressure on the markets here uh short term and that's simply because again you know the expectation is inflation is cooling and that will keep the fed basically on the sidelines for right now not hike right high rate hike rates anymore however um you know we've seen you know spending holding up well here that's that supports inflation right people going out buying stuff doing stuff in the economy um so we'll see what happens but uh, today's gonna be the big inflation print and of course that's going to lead into tomorrow's FOMC meeting. Now, interestingly enough, Jerome Powell already knows what's going on with CPI. He also he had the job, he has the job report from last week. He's got he already has the CPI print, so they already know that. They start their two-day meeting today. Uh, we'll know that number today as well. And then tomorrow, of course, is the actual Fed uh, FOMC meeting for the month. And tomorrow we will get the next update on the Fed's outlook. So the big question for the markets is going to be is the Fed on hold, right? Markets have been front-running, and this is the subject of today's article, and we'll talk about this here in uh, in the next segment. Uh, The subject of today's article on the website is the market front-running Fed rate cuts. And so far, the answer to that is yes, is that really ever since October, this massive rally in the markets has been solely a function of expectations that the Fed is going to start cutting rates sooner than expected. We've been pulling forward those rate cut expectations now into the first quarter, of 2024 so right around the corner here we're about to kick off a new year can't believe that but we are <laughs> and uh, we're all getting a year older uh, so you know that's gonna but the expectation now first quarter they're gonna be cutting interest rates um and that's hopefully to stave off you know more deflationary pressures in the economy etc so we'll see what happens today but you know t- this morning at 7:30, uh this whole dynamic of the market could change For the worse, or we could get a very sharp rally if if inflation comes in today, zero, negative 0.1, something like that. We could see a very big advance in the markets today as well. So again, you know, there's you know everything's kind of up for grabs this morning, all based on the CPI print. So again, just kind of. Uh, you know, kind of keep a focus on that. Uh, markets still in a sell signal, but trying to actually flip that back up into a buy signal here uh, with yesterday's action, that's not uncommon. That can happen. Uh, we saw that happen back here in uh, June, July. Markets got very overbought and just kind of flipped back and forth here. But again, just kind of keeping a watch uh, on that as well. We're going we're gonna to run through uh, different markets here in just a minute. Um, outside of that, though, news headlines are pretty pretty weak at the moment. There's not a lot of anything really kind of going on uh, to any great degree that's moving markets. Uh, Again, kind of all eyes are focused on CPI today and then the FOMC tomorrow. That's going to be the two big drivers. Then right after that, pretty much we wrap up this year. Uh, For the the most part, inmates will start running the asylum by Friday. Uh, Next week is all pre-Christmas week, and then we've got the holidays heading into New Year's. So again, just it's about to become vacant on Wall Street uh, for the most part. So again, a lot of, you know potential for more volatility. A lot of stuff can happen over the next week or so, but so far it's been a very good kind of true to form December month. Um, markets rallied, uh, consolidated for a couple of weeks as mutual funds went through their distributions. Kind of starting to pick up that year-end rally here, kind of right on cue. So again, so far. Uh, the markets have done exactly kind of what it was expected seasonally. And, and remember, this is what we talked about, uh, you know, back in October. We get ready for that seasonal rally. That has pretty much set the pace here so far this year. Okay, uh, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Let's, let's run and take a look at, uh, you know, a few different markets this morning. Again, we just talked about the S&P. S&P is you know, pushing up towards highs here, and again, you know, holding, a, holding a, a sell signal at a fairly high level here. But again, as we look back in June, July of last year, the market can do that for a while. You know, markets can stay overbought longer than you think they can. You're eventually going to get a correction here of some sort. You will get a better entry opportunity to put some money to work. Just have you know, to be a little patient here and kind of wait this out. Um, The NASDAQ, of course, also uh, looking a lot like the S&P, of course, since it's all been pretty much the same. Uh, S&P, NASDAQ pushing up here um, as we get higher levels, you know, also setting a a, a sell signal at a fairly high high level as well. Again, not much difference there. The Dow getting really overbought here. Now, the Dow is a little bit of a different story relative to the S&P and the NASDAQ just because of its makeup. Really, really sharp advance, extremely overbought right now uh, on the Dow. Dow is extremely overbought here. But again, different makeup. It's a, you know, it's a price weighted index versus a market cap weighted index. So it performs a bit differently here. But a very stretched MACD buy signal, very overbought on multiple levels. So again, you know, when we get a correction, we'll likely see that kind of ripple through all these major markets, small cap, mid cap. Um, Take a look at the Russell 2000 as an example of that area Uh, again nice rally from the lows but again a very different market structure than what we've seen in the s p and the nasdaq yes rallying here but this you know the the small cap mid cap index has not done a lot this year and that really kind of goes the same way with rsp which is the s p equal weighted index yes um, as we got into the bottom of october um, that market was actually negative for the year uh, has finally put in a decent rally, but again, uh, a year where not much has occurred uh, with the, with the uh, equal weighted index relative to market cap weighted indexes. So again, this goes back to that whole story about the top seven stocks, and it's interesting because the top seven stocks, if you weight them in the MISCI World Index, they make up more than japan europe canada all combined so you know there's just the these top seven stocks kind of eating the world in terms of their market capitalization but that's also driving this disparity between indexes so if you kind of look at your your portfolio this year and you're disappointed with your return you know s p's up 20 percent. i'm only up you know four or five whatever the number is um use the equal weighted index as a better measure because that's more probably about what your portfolio looks like a more diversified portfolio of more than just seven stocks. But that's really going to be a challenge for a lot of investors this year is because of this, real, this bifurcation between seven stocks that have really kind of eaten the world uh, this whole year and has driven the headline index much higher than would have been expected otherwise. Uh, jumping over to volatility, of course, uh, the volatility index is extremely low and is very suppressed here. Again, this is another one of those signs that suggests we're likely going to have a correction we saw that back in in uh, may uh, kind of uh, march february march of uh, earlier this year uh, that reversal led to that uh, bit of correction in March, as we saw that um, you know silicon valley bank issue and then you know we saw that uh, similar decline so again just kind of you know volatility is very suppressed that's a good indicator there's no fear in the market which generally sets you up well for at least a short-term correction so look for a reversal in the vix here that will coincide with a bit of a sell-off in the markets at some point. Now, what triggers that is going to be some news headline. Could be CPI today, could be the Fed tomorrow, could be some other event we're not aware of. But again, normally when the VIX is this suppressed, you're going to get a reversal and that'll lead to a correction in the markets. So that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, uh, we're going to pick up with the markets, what's going on with with them, as well as these Fed rate cuts kind of we'll put it all together into what it means don't go away more of the real investment show coming up right after the break get daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com So it's a bit of an interesting conundrum going on, and I've really got—I've got a two-part article uh, this week. Uh, today's is the first part. Friday will be the second part, talking about history versus current um, in reference to markets, Fed rate cuts, those type of things. And you know, it's interesting. You know, markets were down 10% for the year in October. Now, remember back. So let's let's rewind here just a second. June, July, we're writing articles saying, "Hey." Markets very overbought here. Uh, expect a 5 to 10% correction, completely normal with any given year. We had a 10, 10.03% correction through October, exactly on the money. And then we started writing in October about, you know, kind of an end-of-the-year rally. We were set up for it, negative sentiment, et cetera. And that's exactly what's happened. Now, we reversed a lot of that. Now, the, the rally, as we said in the first segment, has been driven by the markets now anticipating rate cuts from the Fed. And it's an interesting conundrum that we now face uh, with the markets because historically, and again, we have a chart of this uh, showing Fed rate cuts versus the markets going back through history. And what you'll notice is is that when the Fed normally starts cutting rates, that's not the time that you want to be invested in stocks, right? Because the Fed's cutting rates. Why? Because the economy's slowing down. Earnings are weaker than expected. You're not meeting your targets. And so stocks have to reprice lower for those type of of issues. And so a correction during rate cuts is normal. And then when you want to actually buy stocks is when the Fed stops cutting rates. Right. So when they get to the point that they no longer cut rates, that's pretty much when they've got, you know, the juice back in the markets, accommodate you know, easier monetary accommodation, et cetera. And so then stocks start to rally. All makes perfect sense. There's a, a point here, and, and again, you know, we have a chart on this. In fact, uh, Michael Liebwitz did this analysis previously. And if we kind of look at, you know, the history, whenever the Fed starts cutting rates, you know, the markets have had drawdowns anywhere from, you know, um, you know, anywhere from 5% could be mild to you know 20, 30%. So, you know, these, you know, the history of what happens during Fed rate cuts is is pretty clear, and, and so you know the, we have, there's a lot of considerations here. Uh, obviously, I mean valuations are, are still very elevated at this point. Uh, valuations, and, and if we take a look, kind of the long-term trend of, of valuations, even with a rising kind of growth trend in valuations, we've been paying more and more and more over the years for stocks. Uh, we're still extremely deviated above that long-term growth trend. So stocks are expensive and, you know, investors are out there. And this is – but this is this is the interesting thing, right? You know, the three most dangerous words – you can clip, uh, Brent. Um, you know, the, the three most dangerous words are, is this time different, right? Because generally it's not. And so the Fed's talking about cutting rates next year. And so immediately we should say, that's not a good thing. If the Fed's cutting rates, there's something bad in the economy, et cetera. And we don't want to do that. There may be a difference this time. And then look, this is, a, this is a thought experiment. I'm not saying it's absolutely different this time, but I think it's something that we have to consider. And that is the fact that the Fed has been using classical conditioning on the markets now for over 13 years. Classical conditioning, which was, you know, it's also known as Pavlovian or respondent conditioning. Refers to a learning procedure in which a potent stimulus, in this case food, right, with uh, Pavlov, is paired with a previously kind of neutral stimulus, which was the bell, right? So normally you ring a bell, who cares, right? But if I train you that when I ring the bell, you get food, and it's like ringing the dinner bell, right? Mom rings the dinner bell. Time for dinner. Go eat, right? There's a, there's a paired response to that stimulus. So you have a stimulus and you have you know, that, that pairing, that reward. So Pavlov, disco- and this is the whole point of Pavlov's you know, uh, discovery, was that through classical conditioning, right, he could make dogs salivate by ringing the bell. He'd ring the bell, dogs would salivate because they knew they were going to get food. So that's what's been going on in the markets now for the last 13 years. Over the last 13 years, every time the market got into trouble, the Fed would come to its rescue. And, and look, this goes back to 2010, then Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke. In, 2000, so in 2009, we did the first round of quantitative easing markets rally. That ended in June. Markets started to decline. We were down about 15 18% that summer in 2010. Everything was kind of reversing back into that more because we just come out of the financial crisis. Things were still broken everywhere. And so things started to slip back towards that kind of recession. And that was not what the Fed wanted, obviously. And so Ben Bernanke came out at the Fed meeting in September and he said this. I'll just I'm going to read to you this quote. This is from Ben Bernanke 2010. This was a post. This was an op-ed in The Washington Post. This approach eased financial conditions in the past and so far looks to be effective again. And he's talking about quantitative easing. Stock prices rose and long-term interest rates fell when investors began to anticipate additional action. Easier financial conditions will promote economic growth. For example, lower mortgage rates will make housing more affordable and allow more homeowners to refinance. Lower corporate bond rates will encourage investment. And higher stock prices will boost consumer wealth and help increase confidence, which can also spur spending. Increased spending will lead to higher incomes and profits that in a virtuous cycle will further support economic expansion. That's it. That's what you need to know about QE. QE does not and this was the big mistake that everybody made in, you know, the last decade was is oh, QE's printing money and it's gonna to lead to this massive inflation. It never did. QE is an asset swap. It doesn't increase inflation. It puts puts liquidity into the financial markets, boosts asset prices, lowers interest rates, keeps inflation low. We only screwed all that up when we sent checks to households. That's what created the inflation spike. So it's important, though, that... You know, this is the history that we've been working with. And there's a, there's a very direct correlation between, the, between Q, rounds of QE and monetary easing and what goes on in the financial markets. And, in fact, that correlation is extremely high. It's an 88% correlation between stock prices and changes to the Fed's balance sheet. So there is a direct correlation between the Fed doing quantitative easing lowering interest rates, creating easier financial conditions, and improvements in the financial markets. Now, what does this all have to do with anything? Well, for investors, each round of quantitative easing that was introduced was the neutral stimulus. Stock prices then rose, which was the potent stimulus. So there is your classical conditioning—that That is your Pavlovian response to changes in monetary policy. So here we are today, and we're talking about the Fed you know, cutting interest rates as early as the first quarter. So if I cut interest rates, then obviously I'm doing what? I'm creating easier financial conditions. And if I'm cutting interest rates, I'm probably closer to cutting – QE, not just yet, Brent. I'm I'm probably closer to cutting uh, quantitative tightening and reverting back to quantitative easing. So as investors, right, I want to front run that. I, I, I have this fear of missing out. So investors are front running these expected rate cuts, regardless of what else is happening in the economy or the markets or anything else they're front-running these rate cuts because they are expecting, and this this was also what Pavlov discovered with the dogs, the dogs would start to salivate in anticipation of the ringing of the bell. He didn't even have to ring the bell. He just had to get it out, and the dogs would start to salivate. Right? The Fed hasn't cut rates yet, but the markets are salivating on this idea that the Fed is going to cut rates. And so... You know the the big question I get right now is that, like, but Lance, there's all these indicators, there's the inverted yield curve, there's all this stuff that's going on that says a recession is coming, and that's bad for stock prices. Yeah, maybe. With the exception that the Fed's talking about ringing the bell. You know, and this is and this is what I've talked about before. Now, Brent, you can bring this chart up. So this is what I talked about before. You know, these increases in stock prices increases consumer confidence which is supporting economic activity uh this chart that Bren has got up now is uh, this is the consumer confidence index there's two basic and, and I go further into detail in part 2 of this article I'll go further in detail in these in this you know in the confidence issue on Friday but this is a combination of the conference board and the university of michigan's consumer sentiment indexes. And there's a disparity between the two right now, so I'll make a composite and it kind of irons all this stuff out. The point is, is that since October, as the markets have been rallying, consumer confidence has been improving. And since October of last year, and this is that red line that slanted upwards, there's been an improvement in consumer confidence as the markets have increased in price this year. People feel better about spending money, and they go out and spend money, and that's keeping economic activity elevated. In fact, uh, you know, economic activity is much stronger than what expectations were this year. And now economists are upgrading their economic growth estimates for next year. But this all has to do with that idea of the market's now front-running expectations of these rate cuts classical conditioning is now complete for the markets now it doesn't mean that next year can't have some wildly different outcome i'm not saying that at all in fact that's why we talked about a range of possibilities in last week's article but you know if you're if you're having trouble grasping why markets are doing so well right now this is why the feds getting out the bell they haven't even rung the bell yet and markets are salivating over this idea classical conditioning now complete be right back after the break The Real Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at Real Investment com. Welcome back to so more I'm just reading a headline on CNN. Fossil fuel phase-out removed from draft climate deal. Al Gore up in arms saying that COP28 is now a complete failure because we're not going to get rid of fossil fuels. There are 6,000 products that are required for the sustainability of life as you know it on this planet that are all derived from fossil fuels. Getting rid of fossil fuels sounds great in theory, but we would all be in a third world country without them. Just you know, this is and this is there's a there's a headline out this morning uh, put out on Twitter about a third of U.S. adults under the age of thirty now regularly get their news on TikTok. Um, if you ever want some entertainment, go on to TikTok and watch some of these. They have these these live events. People go on their live and they have these debates and. And if you want a world of misinformation, watch these live debates. Um, You know, it's a bunch of just, you know, average people debating today's topics of whatever they are. And, you know, generally, you know, they're on one side of the camp and the other. And then people are trying to debate them. And it's interesting because they say, you know, we need to have a a adult conversation about these issues. And as soon as somebody disagrees with them, they call them some slang term and then, you know, kick them out of their chat. But, you know, you know, that's, that's what's going on in terms of the news. And, and so you, you miss out on a lot of, you know, the economic data. And, and that's an interesting point because, you know, we talked a lot on this show here recently, and I want to show you a a chart. This is in the financial times. I, I told you no more charts. I lied, Brent. Um, let me see if I can get this uh, over here real quick. Just one second for me. Um, this was in the. There's a really good article in the Financial Times this morning. It's uh, unfortunately you got to have a subscription for it. Um, but I'll give you the. I'm going to show you the relevant chart. Oh wait, that's not it. Sorry, that's the one we we're just talking about. Um, oh here, this one. So, what this this table showed is and again you know we talked about narratives previously um, you know and that you know there's a lot of really negative narratives if you watch youtube as an example there's a bunch of interviews with people's like oh the world's going to end and you know we're you know the, you know it, it's just you know it's just dire desperation everywhere the economy sucks blah 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 right a um, lot of false information and even in a recent poll Americans are adamant that U.S. economic circumstances are actually getting worse, right? But they're not. And this was really broken down into two things, you know, today compared to 30 years ago uh, versus what's actually going on today. And it's incorrect, you know, because they're getting this information off of YouTube channels or TikTok or whatever it is. And there's a disconnect between that information and what's going on in the real world. Now, look, I'm not saying that this is, you know, an absolute factual. This is a survey, right? So there's not an absolute fact to this. But I can tell you from a lot of the emails that I get, right, there's a lot of misinformation about what's going on in the economy. And, you know, we're about to drop off the cliff. We're about to go into the next great, you know, recession, depression type situation, um, you know, We're going to have this massive debt default. Uh, We've got, you know, yields are going to 10 percent because of the deficits, which are out of control. Look, and and there's certainly some truth to, you know, we don't have control over spending for sure. But, you know, we've talked about before is that our debt issuance as a percentage of GDP is actually running at a lower rate than what it was previously. So, you know, false narratives and this is why as investors it's very important to set aside some of these end of the world scenarios and focus on and again you know, we 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 wrote about this previously and we showed you that chart of the bell curve and we said look this is what normally happens we're within this realm of you know 95 percentile one to two standard deviations of normalcy and then you get out on the tails, and that's your financial crisis or this economic boom situation. Look, and I'm not saying we're going to have this economic nirvana either. That's a tell risk on the positive side. The tell risk on the negative side is the next financial crisis and depression. Probably not going to happen. But it's, it's it's interesting, right? And this all becomes because of where people are getting their their information from, and they're just you're just fed this information. You know, you select as an example, you select to watch some YouTube channel, where every person on the YouTube channel is super bearish. Well, if you do that, that's fine. But what are you going to get? You're going to get a very bearish attitude. Well, obviously, all these people think the world's coming to an end and so that must be true right because I, I watched five guys in a row and they were all super bearish same thing on the other side every guy over here super bullish nothing can go wrong in the markets it's only going to go up from here that's probably not going to happen either markets are going to go up they're going to go down and we have to navigate that risk and you know again you know we're not going to have probably a rip-roaring bull market for the next 10 years Right. But we're probably not going to have a a financial depression either. But we'll probably be somewhere in the middle. Right. We may have a couple of good up years, may have a couple of, you know, down years. You know, we talked about, you know, we talked about this yesterday, but, you know, you talk about valuations. Valuations are very high level. If normally when valuations are very high level, you have a low rate of returns over the next decade. Well, we've gone two years now with a zero rate of return. So exactly what you would expect from high valuations, two years of no return. But you had one down year and one up year in the middle of that. So, you know, this is this is the problem with misunderstanding terminology in the markets. High valuations equal zero returns over a decade. Doesn't mean you can't have some rip-roaring rallies. In the middle of that, and then you have another sell-off that takes away a chunk of that rally. Then you rally again, and then you look back over 10 years and go, wow, I didn't make any money. See, it's understanding what these things mean in context of reality. It doesn't mean that high valuations means a depression. That's what people tend to, to extract from that. So, you know, this is you know, this is why it's really important to be careful of these narratives and, and to select what you're paying attention to and try to balance these two. And this is, look, we we probably don't do as good of a job as we should, but I try to bring to you both sides of the argument so that you can evaluate them on your own. You may not agree with what I say, but that's okay, right? Because, again, it's just my opinion, and I'm not always right. But I hope that you can balance that against some of these other things that are out there that are on the more bearish side of the camp. I try not to get too bearish and I try not to get too bullish. There's going to be times that I'm bearish. There's going to be times that I'm bullish, depending on what's going on in the markets. And I get emails from that, too. It's like, well, Lance, I don't understand. You just wrote this article about... You know, these recessionary indicators, and then you've got this article that's talking about a bull market rally. Yeah, because I'm just trying to evaluate all these different risks in the markets so we can navigate them. We have to understand them. We have to analyze them. We've got to look at this data so that we can navigate the markets. You know, it's kind of like, you know, driving with your eyes closed, (laughs) you know. If you're not evaluating the road in front of you, you're going to miss a turn, you know. And this is, you know, when you're driving, you've got to deal with, you know, potholes. You especially in Houston, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you know, deal with potholes, other drivers, um, you know, obstacles in the road, stalled cars, traffic, you know, you know, all these things. And so, if you're not paying attention to those risks and adjusting what you're doing, you're not going to get to your destination. And That's all that investing is. It's just understanding what's happening in the road in front of you. And making small adjustments. You know, we talked about football yesterday, game of inches. Same, same idea. But I found this article very interesting, you know, because you know, when you look at what the vast majority of people think, it's incorrect. And again, vast I should say the vast majority of people surveyed, right? You know, always got to be careful with surveys and polls, right? Because, you know, you 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 watch one poll on politics as an example, and it says that. Biden's going to win the next election. And you look at who they surveyed and they were all Democrats. Right. So you've got to be careful who you're interviewing, because if you if your poll's not balanced, I mean, if your your pool of respondents isn't balanced, you're not going to have a good poll. So in this case, if I go into a very poor neighborhood where people are just making ends meet and asking these questions, yeah, their life sucks right now. they're not getting wage growth that they want. We see a record number of people right now that are moonlighting, you know, full-time job earners that are moonlighting to make ends meet because the cost of living is outstripping wage increases. That's going to balance itself out. If wages maintain where they are, right? We don't have a big decline in wages and inflation continues to come down. That's going to start to balance itself out. But right now it's certainly not the case. So again, again, got to be careful with these with these surveys and I'm not saying that this survey is absolutely right but I do see a lot of this very negative sentiment based on false information coming to me in emails so from when I when I read this article I go yeah I see that from people emailing me I just want you to be careful of what you consume and as we've talked about before always try to consume both sides of the argument so that you can make a better decision what i don't care what you decide you can be uber uber bearish or uber bullish that's on you but at least evaluate both sides of the arguments and you'll make better decisions for your portfolio okay quick break be right back don't go away Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So we're about 45 minutes out right now from this morning's CPI report. Of course, all eyes on CPI this morning was uh, kind of surveyed by the Wall Street Journal estimate that its consumer prices overall were unchanged in November. In other words, expecting a 0% increase in inflation compared with the prior month. Uh, that would be the same as October's flat monthly reading. So in other words, no changes in two months and a slowdown from that month's 3.2 to 3.1% on an annual year-over-year basis in terms of CPI. If that occurs, I would expect a fairly positive market response today from that as that will kind of further enforce that the Fed is at least done hiking rates for the moment. But you know there's a lot and again you know talking about narratives and these type of things you know people are talking about you know resurgence of inflation and a whole variety of things um i've talked about this before i've shown you charts on this before statista had a really good chart and i i I prepare a a similar chart about once a month when we talk about cpi um but this was a really good chart of breaking down the consumer price index uh, in terms of its components and and this is the important thing housing is that big blue chunk, right? That's 44 percent of the index. Transportation is 17.2, 14.2 percent is food and energy. In other words, what happens in those three sectors drives the whole index, you know. And if you notice, there's nothing on there that says energy, right? Energy makes up seven percent. So when we talk about gasoline prices or you talk about, um, you know, uh, energy cost in general, oil prices, that's not in there as a as an item, right? Transportation also has gasoline factored into it. Housing has heating oil factored into it, utility costs. Um, So energy makes up 7%, but it's all embedded within the overall index itself. So, again, we've seen oil prices come down. We've seen uh, gasoline prices come down. So that's embedded, and that's what we're seeing weaker inflationary pressures, housing prices are continuing to come down. Apartment rents are coming down. So homeowners equivalent rent, that's that housing component. What happens there drives the whole index for the most part. So if you're expecting a big resurgence of inflation, you're going to need a big resurgence in house prices, right? Don't really see that on the horizon right now, but we'll see. I mean, it could be Um, so-called core prices, which exclude um, food and energy items rose 0.3% in November. So this is the expectation uh, from the prior month and 4% from a year earlier that uh, on that estimate. Now, importantly, that is what the Fed pays attention to, is the core CPI, not the CPI. So this morning's CPI number is fine, but pay attention to the core because that's what the Fed's paying attention to. If, if one of these numbers comes in a lot hotter than expected, That can certainly weigh on the markets near term. Now, again, as I said, right now, the Fed already knows these numbers. By the way, in their meeting today, uh, you know they've already had these numbers in hand for a day or so, but they'll have it. You know, it'll be public knowledge today. Uh, The Federal Reserve is on track to hold rates, um, but this is, you know, the the point for the Fed. The Fed hasn't said. That They're done raising rates. In fact, Jerome Powell has made it clear in his most recent speech that, you know, they could still hike rates if necessary. If inflation starts to resurge, they'll hike rates more. So they haven't come out and said, we're done hiking rates. And, you know, this is an important factor because the markets are saying, yeah, you have. The markets are, are, as we just talked about, the markets are clearly betting that the Fed has done hiking rates. The, the markets are trying to predict Fed policy, but the Fed itself has not said they are done hiking rates. They have not said that they have reached their goals. They have alluded to the fact that policy may be restrictive enough. And that was back in October when yields were at 5% and, you know, markets were in the dumps by 10%. They said that, they don't you know their policy rates are restrictive enough because the market is doing their job for them however since then yields have fallen to 4.18% today under 4.2 and stocks are up over 10%. So everything that the Fed was looking at saying hey the market's doing our job for us has been reversed financial conditions have eased markedly that's not good because as i just showed you in the in the chart that that eat not not the sorry brent the one from earlier this morning um as as i as i showed you earlier this morning easier financial conditions increases consumer confidence which supports economic growth that's not what the fed wants because stronger economic growth is inflationary and that'll keep them from getting to their two percent target longer than expected so again i don't know what the fed's going to do tomorrow But I would not be surprised to see them have a bit more hawkish message tomorrow unless they see something else going on in the economy. If they see financial strains, um, you know, they have other economic data that they're looking at that suggests that the economy is slowing down a lot faster than what headline data says, then maybe they'll kind of maintain their message. but. You know, if the markets keep running like it is, it is going to start to lead to a resurgence of inflation, not to a dramatic degree. I'm not talking about inflation going back to, you know, 9 percent. But, you know, you could see a few months where inflation's running hotter than expected because people are out spending money, doing things in the economy because they feel good about themselves. Their financial situation is good. We'll see. You know, but, you know. The, you know the, What the Fed wants, and this is interesting, the Fed actually wants lower asset prices. They want a slower economy. Now, they don't want to crush the economy. They don't want a depression. They don't want deflation, right? They just want less inflation. They want disinflation, right? Not deflation. They want disinflation. They want slower economic activity. And they wouldn't even mind a very mild recession. They want higher unemployment because that will bring down that rate of inflation back towards their target of 2%. They want a more bearish environment currently. The market's not giving it to them. And this is the headbutting that's about to about to happen between the central bank, you know, and 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 you know, the Fed's been very clear. They've been very wary about, you know, declaring a premature victory. In fact, that's something that you know, uh, Jerome Powell said just in his last statement when he gave a speech a couple of Thursdays ago, he said, it is premature to think that we have won the inflation fight. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the general statement. What they and again, you know, their concern is, yeah, great. You get to two percent and then it takes off again because everybody gets so excited. Everybody's front running Fed rate cuts. So, again, you know, I think this is why I think there's a risk to the markets that they could be disappointed um, either by inflation print today coming in hotter than expected, which is possible um, or more hawkish, but probably more likely a, a more hawkish statement from the Fed tomorrow. Again, kind of reiterating this idea is that hey, you know, we can hike rates if necessary. It's premature to to, to claim victory. Uh, you know, we're watching the data, et cetera. I, that wouldn't be surprising at all, and that could take some of the steam out of the markets. We'll see. But you know, the big driver is, is shelter and housing costs, and you know, mortgage rates are coming down. Interest borrowing costs are coming down. We're seeing housing prices actually start to kind of stabilize here in, in some areas. We're seeing mortgage applications tick back up. And again, that's that's a driver of inflation, a big driver of inflation if that occurs. So, you know, we'll be watching this pretty close. Um, outside of that, uh, really, that's kind of the big thing to watch today, tomorrow. Um, we'll have a lot to talk about uh, on Thursday with Michael Leibowitz when he's here. Um, and then tomorrow, of course, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff in the morning. But, you know, this morning, futures right now kind of, you know, flatish at the moment. Um, S&P's up just a smidge, up about you know, five points right now. NASDAQ's up about 43. Uh, oil price is down to $70 a barrel right now, as well as U.S. 10-year yield at 4.19 percent eh, this morning. It's down down a bit ahead of this. Uh, kind of expectation, and, and right now markets are, are pointing up because of the expectation of kind of inline or weaker than expected inflation. Again, if we get that, that's going to be bullish for markets. Um, and again, here you know, here's the headline. Uh, you know, again, you know, headline this morning on CNBC: Fed to start cutting rates mid-year in 2024 with chance of soft landing. This is uh, uh, according to a CBNC, uh, CNBC survey. This is what, you know, kind of everybody's thinking. And uh, again, you have to always be cautious when markets all think, you know, kind of one thing. Something else tends to happen. And, and and so we'll see. But, you know, this is the whole point of the article out on the website today is that, you know, markets are front running these rate cuts, which that change in psychology may provide us a different outcome this time because there's a FOMO, a fear of missing out on the markets if the Fed cut rates, right? You know, if Fed cuts rates, market go, goes up. So if the Fed's starting to talk about rates, I better buy now because when they start to cut rates, markets are going to go up. I don't want to miss out. That's, that's the risk, right? That's what the markets are dealing with. So um, anyway, that article on the website, most important, coming up, January the 27th, we're having a special event. It's called Navigating the Markets in a Presidential Cycle. Greg Valier is coming uh, to, to be the, the keynote presentation. Adam Taggart will be there. Michael Leibowitz, myself, uh, will be spending the morning uh, talking about the economy, the markets, presidential election cycles, what to expect. We're going to feed you. Uh, Tickets are on sale right now, pre-early bird registration on the website. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the banner at the top. uh, Tickets are $99. Uh, We've got very limited seating at Hotel Sinesta here in Houston. Uh, So we've only got room for about 150 people. So uh, these tickets are going to go fast. So if you want to go, love to have you. Get by the, the website, register now. Uh, You get your early bird special now. Ticket prices will go up as we get into early January. So um, get your tickets now on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow with Danny Ratliff. See you then.